Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Good morning and welcome along to Football Digest. Extra time with myself, Ned Keating, joined today by Sam Mead as we look back uh, over Manchester City's FA Cup win over their fiercest rivals, Manchester United. Uh, of course, look ahead to West Ham's Europa Conference League final against Fiorentina in Prague on Wednesday uh, and reflect on the sad news that Zlatan Ibrahimovic has called time on his rather glittering career overnight at the age of 41. But Sam, as I said there, we're going to start off with Manchester City uh, this morning. I suppose we have to say that they were deserving winners uh, in the FA Cup final. I have to admit here, my, my knowledge of it uh, might not be as good as it was. I couldn't find uh, as many channels in Turkey showing in it. Uh, you might see if you're watching along that I do have a slightly nicer glow this morning, uh, or at least, you know, I might not look like I've slapped the fake tan on for one. Um, but in terms of what I've seen from the game, my understanding of it, I think it was a deserved win for Manchester City, all told, in the end, uh, as they added uh, another trophy to their cabinet this season. Yeah, it's funny, because... I'd say they were deserving winners, but it certainly weren't at their absolute best. I think a lot of people didn't expect them to like nick, like I say, nick a 2 1 win, but win 2 1 with the second goal tripping in. You know, we can talk about David De Gea's role in that goal. When you think that was the winning goal, I mean, they were certainly dominant in terms of possession. Um, John Stones was a real standout, his hybrid role. Um, I don't think many thought he could sort of produce that. But no, City deserving winners. As much for they were good, I don't think they offered Man United a lot, which is credit to, to the way they defended. And I think one of the evolutions of Pep as a manager full stop is I feel like with his Barcelona side, they only re- they could only so much win one way, and they were so good that they only ever needed to win that way. But the the concept was if you ever wanted to beat them, you have to bully them. Whereas this City team, if you want to bully them, I think they're up for a scrap. You know, you like some Rodri, you like some Diaz. They're quite happy to to battle with you. And I think Man United had to turn it into something like that to give themselves a chance. If they played City at football, they're always going to lose. Um, but I don't think they helped themselves. They went one 0 down within twelve seconds. Um, but I mean, it was a great strike from Goodwin. I wasn't even watching at that point. I was still looking down. Glad you missed the goal live. I'd say there's a few fans in the stadium as well that probably missed that goal as well. Still trying to get their seat and it's the worst thing in the world, isn't it? When you just hear a big scream and you're like, what have I just missed? It's only just kicked off. Yeah, it's the killer. But you no, know, deserving winners. I mean, you look at United didn't offer a huge round. I mean, the penalty decision was a joke. But so what, I suppose that's one of the subbots and, and a bigger issue for football with VAR and how they weak the handball law. Um, and that was their only major chance. I mean, with Celtic converted... Late in the stoppage time, Ortega came out and made a big save, and obviously the ball hits the bar, which just goes to show if you're only one goal down and and you put it into the box and, and you win the first header, second balls in England, anything can happen. Um, so it's amazing to think they actually came close to nicking, nicking a draw and forcing extra time, and then you don't know what happens after that. Don Garn Acho was a real live wire when he came on. Credit to him and credit to uh, Ten Hag for making that thing because he was really, really good. Um, but no, you couldn't argue with City being deserving winners and uh, I'm sure you're uh, soon going to ask me about certain trouble. But no, yeah, fair play to them. They've the best team in England by, I wouldn't say quite a distance, but they've been the best team in England. Don't want Arsenal fans coming at me. The best team in England, best team in the competition. So yeah, serving winners. Yes, we'll uh, we'll come to the inevitable treble question in just a second. But before we get there, just wanted to get your thoughts on uh, Ilkay Gundogan. As you said there, an absolute stunning goal to kick things off after uh, less than 15 seconds in the final. Um, and again, kind of really delivering a captain's performance. I know you said, obviously, the second goal, 
the quality was uh, was a little bit less less good than the uh, than the opening strike at least. But nonetheless, him getting in the right place at the right time, yes, it trickled in. But a, a captain's performance from Ilkay Gundogan, and all the suggestions are that he will be leaving Manchester City at the end of the season, possibly Barcelona, possibly Arsenal, who knows where uh, at this stage. But he's going to be a big, big loss for them, isn't he? You look at the, the funny thing is with Manchester City, you go down the years and you kind of go, oh, they lost company. When will they replace him? And they lost Aguero and then we'll replace him. They do find a way and they do find these players. But, but Ilkay Gundogan has, has been crucial uh, for City this season as captain, has really led from the front for them, I think. Oh, yeah, just an absolute class act. I think it took a while for him to get the thought. It's, I think whenever you play alongside or in a similar position for De Bruyne, you'll, you'll always look as, at best, the second best player in the team, which which he fundamentally is. But in terms of the big moments in producing over the last couple of months, he's been sensational. And you can go back the year when they won the title in 21 and he just went on that run where he just couldn't stop scoring. And even before that, you know, famously scored on the final day in 2019 when they beat Brighton. And, he, and then there was talk about whether he would leave and he decided to stay on. Um, he would leave a massive, massive hole. He's obviously taken on the captaincy after Fernandinho, so it could leave City looking for a second captain in successive summers, which probably isn't ideal. Um, but like you say, I'm sure they would they'd find someone pretty smoothly. Um, I think the issue for Gundogan or Gundogan is that there's no way he could leave for footballing reasons. If he wants to play for the best team, he will not move. But at the stage of the career he's at, he may think to himself, okay, I want a new challenge. If he does, I can't see him staying in England because why would you stay in England to compete against Man City? Which then obviously opens up doors for for Barcelona, etc. Um, and I think if they do go on to win the treble, he will sort of sit there and go, there's nothing left for me to achieve here. And it'd be a bit like the when company left in 2019 and he scores that goal against Leicester, he, you probably think to yourself, if you could write your own narrative, that's how you'd want to write it. And you almost think to yourself, if company hadn't scored that goal, would he have stayed? Because he thinks, I've, I can I can still offer more. But if Gundogan can win a treble next week, he was, it's almost like he, he can write his own fairy tale, which I think every player would love to do deep down. So on that basis, I can see him leaving, but in the same sense, uh, I mean, by, by all accounts, the issue is over the length of the deal. He wants two years, so you only want to give him 12 months. Um, I think City can turn around. For starters, they don't need to worry about accidentally tying a player down for a year longer than they need to because it means they've got, it's going to cost them wages. They don't need to worry about that. So if that is the issue, that they probably need to swallow their pride and just offer up the deal because this is, it'd be foolish to let him go. And even if they do sign him to a two-year deal and want to move him on in 12 months, they will be buyers. So I don't see why the deal wouldn't get done. I think it is purely on the German potentially just wanting to do something else with his career. Mentioned there a few times about the treble, and we are going to eventually get onto that point now. Um, Manchester City doing parts one and part two, winning the Premier League, having now won the FA Cup as well. Um, and I did have to laugh uh, after the, the their final win at the weekend. Uh, I got one email from a PR firm saying that they were now heavy odds on favourites to complete the treble. And I kind of thought, well, they've only got to win one match, really, isn't it? And I know it sounds simplistic, but that's it. That's all that separates this Manchester City side now from from potential immortality, really. And it, it definitely in English football. I know Pep Guardiola done the done the six two for didn't he? The six trophies in his first season at Barcelona. What a ridiculous! Uh, or, or in two thousand and nine, sorry. In general, what a ridiculous achievement that was then. But but this is a, a another great achievement potentially for Guardiola. And I think Manchester City, their biggest. I wonder if you agree with this point, but their biggest opponents in in this weekend are, are probably themselves and getting in their own way, getting complacent. 
Um, and perhaps that maybe sounds like we're being complacent that we expect Manchester City to add the third trophy um, with victory against Inter Milan. But but that's it. They're going to be under immense pressure because it's it's not, you know, you go back through the years, Inter Milan are a big team in Europe, but they're not where they once were. They're not, you know, that 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 powerhouse side under Jose in, in you know, 2010, the team that won multiple uh, Serie A's in a row and Roberto Mancini in the, in the mid-noughties as well. And, and you go back further. They're not that vintage. They've still caused City a few problems, but but this is probably of those tricky ties that you looked at. You know, whether or not they could overall Arsenal eventually did, and you know, fair play, a bit of that down to Arsenal bottling it. You kind of thought that Real Madrid was the biggest test, the biggest hurdle that was standing in their way in this pursuit for the treble. They've now got you know, ticks all those boxes off. It's just about seeing it through to the end, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm prepared to go out on a limb. You know, from my career on the line, so I think they will do the treble revelation of the week, um, but. Yeah, I agree with what you say. I think the biggest thing Pep and the players have to sort this week is is, is mindset. Because as a football team, there's no doubt they'll go in as heavy favourites, rightly so, and should get the job done. Um, we will then get into the glorious debate of which treble side was better, no doubt, um, which should be a lot of fun over the summer. But yeah, I mean, it would be the encompassing of all the work that Pep wanted to do at City and also their owners wanted to do. You know, it's been over a decade they've been looking for the Champions League. They've not actually come that close when you think about it. They obviously had their final loss in 21. Yes. Um, but other than that, a lot of semi-finals, been favourites a lot, but never managed to get over the line. Obviously, Pep's early failures were well documented. But it just seems written in the stars this year that they are going to do it. You know, they've been purring for a couple of weeks now. And even... Uh, final two games of the season against Brighton and Brentford when they were sort of half resting players because the league was done you thought could they just switch on against Man United and you got the sense that they did even though like I said they weren't their free flowing best but it sort of moves on perfectly into this week because they were better on Saturday than they've been in recent weeks and that will give Pep optimism that they upped their level but then also can challenge them to go again so I think in that sense they're nicely set. There's obviously no massive injury worries, which is ideal for them. But I think Inter Milan are, they are the sort of the worst type of team they want to face because against Real Madrid, whilst, you know, a lot was made of their sort of miracle games last season, Real Madrid will have a go at you. Whereas Inter, I think, are quite happy to sit there and effectively sit tight and play on the break, which is just fundamentally how you have to play against City if you want to win a game. And I think they're quite solid defensively and they've obviously got attacking outlets in Martinez and, and Dzeko who can cause a problem. They've also hit form quite a good time. They had a bit of a dip a couple of, couple of weeks ago, maybe months ago, where they lost a few games on the bounce. But they have hit some nice form, um, which does guide them in nicely into the Champions League final. So they certainly will be more of a test than I think some people think and but I think Pep will like protect against that I think he knows that there's no underestimating it from from that point of view I think over the years you definitely can't accuse City of underestimating teams they've just not performed or they've spurned their chances or or whatever it is you know even when they were losing to the likes of Leon and Monaco I don't think they're ever complacent so yeah big week ahead and we could be on for well my United fans will certainly piss their bragging rights if it gets done yeah, you mentioned there about Leon and 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 the kind of the, the flashback for for many Man City fans, probably traumatic flashbacks about playing wing backs and all of that. I wonder if we'll see Jack Grealish at left wing back this weekend. We won't. I I fully yeah, like you know, I fully expect Manchester City to get it done though. Um, just switching briefly though to Manchester United uh, this morning, and the curtain is now down on Eric Ten Hag's first season in charge. 
Uh, they've got a League Cup in the bag. They've got top four football and a, a return to the Champions League next season to look forward to. Um, obviously missed out in the FA Cup final at the weekend, but how would we rate Eric Ten Hag's first season on the whole at Manchester United? Is, uh, I think we're all in agreement that there is still work to do, that there is still some way to go on the journey, but is this a, a very positive first season in the fact that they have a trophy and that they are back in the Champions League? Yeah, it's been positive. It's been good. Um, I get pelters for this. I don't think it's been as good as everyone thinks it's been, um, but... Footballing-wise, I've not been blown away, but I've been really impressed by him as an individual. I think he's been a phenomenal politician, and I think that is actually a bigger deal in his first season than potentially some of the football elements. Like He's dealt with the Ronaldo thing perfectly. He's dealt with dropping Maguire, still the club captain, perfectly. Um, he's handled the take everything well. He's not got drawn into it and all that sort of stuff. So I think in terms of setting, him, setting himself off the pitch and creating an image that will allow him to manage the club going forward. I think he's been absolutely brilliant. I think footballing wise, there's actually still a lot to improve. I think people did get a little bit giddy at times. They had that run either side of the World Cup where they won a few games, including they beat City in the derby. But beyond that, had quite generous fixtures. Um, Either side of that, I think their results, especially away to the top half sides, like you, you cannot look past that. And not only just losses, it's the manner of the losses should ring alarm bells. Um, But he'll have another summer to bring in his own players. I think one thing you could potentially look at is that I don't know that there are... His new signings have been brilliant. His recruitment has been very good. You know, Martinez, Casemiro have made a big difference. But I think there are players in the team who you thought, okay, you know, last summer beyond Rangnick, he goes. And you've got players who are there and you think, okay, under the right coach... You know, people always talk about how Pep brings players on. Um, or even Pochettino, who was obviously against Ten Hag for the top job. There are players, you like of Sancho, you like of Alanga, and players like this. You did look at them and go, okay, there's a player there and a coach with a year. What could he do with them? And I don't know that some of their players with unlocked potential have come on this year in a way you may have wanted, to the extent that we are now potentially talking about these names being moved on because he can't get a tune out of them. Now, we can argue about whether that's the coach, whether that's on the player. You know, ultimately, it's a bit of both. But he set himself up nicely from a from a politician's point of view. I keep using that phrase, but I think he's just really, really smart in terms of how he's managed the club and the people in the club. And it's given him a great base from which to move forward. He's obviously picked up a silverware, which was just the cloud hanging over the club. Now, if you ask every Man United fan which is the least trophy you would want at the start of the year, they would have said the Carabao Cup. They're going to jazz it up and say that they're buzzing about it, which is understandable. And at the end of the day, it's a mindset thing. You know, the club had a lot of players who had never won a trophy with the club. As soon as you win one, it doesn't matter what it is, it gives you that experience to go on. So I think they're very, very well set. But like everyone says, a lot of it will come down to what they can get in in the summer as to how many strides they can make forward. Moving on now to the uh, Europa Conference League final. Uh, and this week, uh, it sees West Ham take on Fiorentina in Prague. Uh, little you know, note for anyone that's, that's listening to this. Uh, I myself, I'll be out in Prague for, for the uh, for the Mira. So, of course, you can keep up to that with all the latest from there. Loads of great content, hopefully, that we'll have uh, from the build-up for the final and uh, and 
afterwards as well. Hopefully catching plenty of West Ham fans celebrating out there in the Czech Republic uh, capital as well. Um, and Sam, just in terms of this game for for West Ham, um, you know, you spoke there about you know Manchester United and and even the League Cup adding uh, you know adding the trophy to a cabinet. It kind of breeds a bit of success, and it kind of you know the hunger that the players then have they want to add to it and everything else. For West Ham, yes, it's only the Europa Conference League, but it's it's still a you know a great opportunity for them to to get a brilliant uh, trophy under the bag, a continental title. And you saw what it done this year with Roma then going on to, to reach the, the final of the Europa League, um, obviously losing last weekend, uh, last week, sorry, uh, against Sevilla on penalties in the end. But it's a, you know, it, it's safe for West Ham to build them if they can get it. This is a real big opportunity for them to kind of, you know, lay down a marker at least. And, and of course, get, you know, European football where they finish in the league this season, they won't get that unless they win the final. Um, but this is a, a massive opportunity for them as a club to say, you know, we're, we're starting to move on to the next level. I know obviously this season in the Premier League might suggest otherwise, but we're starting to move on to the next level. We're starting to kind of develop as a club. And we believe that, you know, it would be a third season of consecutive European football that they get if they win the trophy. And of course, you know, they can say that they're European champions to an extent. This this is a big opportunity for the club. Yeah, massive. Um, I think, like I said, it's been great to have that alongside their league form because for a long time they were struggling. Um, so to have this as sort of a fallback and go, do you know what, we can compete against the top teams. And I think cut competitions give you that opportunity. You know, you can big yourself up for for a big game, um, which has been perfect for them. I think one thing it does show is the strength of the Premier League. You know, you've got West Ham, a team who are fighting relegation for a large chunk of the season. And they're playing a mid-table team in Serie A. And, you know, Fiorentina beat Basel to make the final who are a big deal in their own league. Um, so I think it really, really underlines the strength of the Premier League. And even you go back last year, I think it was to West Ham made the semi-final. I think it was eventually lost to Frankfurt in the Europa League. So it goes to show that that the Europa League and the Europa Conference League are always going to be made up of those sort of second tier slash high third tier European clubs. Um, and that's nothing to be sniffed at. You know, Sevilla are a top club and they win the Europa League almost every single year, it feels like. Um, and if you look at the role of honour, it is always top clubs. And West Ham have proved that they can mix it with those clubs. And if they were to go and win this competition and be in the Europa, the Europa League next year, no matter what happens in the summer, you know, there's talk of managerial change and potentially players leaving, they can still compete, which is a credit to them as a side. And, you know, the Premier League is a difficult beast because you always feel like, with the exception of the top six and now Newcastle, every team is only ever one bad year from potentially going down. But the cup competitions like these um, just give you a chance to maintain a sense of credibility. So I think for West Ham, it's a massive opportunity and I think they've got a really good chance as well. You're David Moyes now. How do you approach this game? It's, it, it, it's, it's, a, you know, it's a strange one. Of course, you, know, you don't want to, to lose a final. So I'm not saying that you'll play 11 attackers and hope for the best. But you have to go for it, don't you? You have to. You don't. These opportunities, these finals don't come around often in players' careers and you kind of, and, and for the fans as well, what is it, nearly 50 years since they were last in a European final as well? A lot of them, this is the first time that they will have seen, um, you know, West Ham go this far in a competition. Of course, I think, you know, your heart back, I think before this, it might have been the 2006 FA Cup final as well, the last time they were in a big uh, final competition. This is a big opportunity for the fans as well. And, and Moyes has to strike the right balance, doesn't he, tactically? I'd just be interested to know how you kind of, Sense it because there are, you know, there are some positions. You know, you look at it, does he start, you know, Aaron Creswell or Emerson Palmieri in terms of they're two very different left backs? Do you start Paquette? Do you start Suchek in the 10? Because then that kind of suggests something else a little bit different. There's some 
interesting questions that Moyes has to ask in terms of setting his team up that you kind of look at and go, this is going to tell us a lot about how West Ham are going to attack this final or maybe defend this final might be the better term. Yeah, I think the latter is probably more likely. You say, like, David Moyes has to go for it. I can't see that myself. And cup finals, how often does a cup final not live up to the billing? You know, it's, they're cagey affairs. You don't want to lose. You know, you always have the potential of penalties, so you don't want to put yourself out of a game. I mean, it was interesting listening to comments made by, I don't know if you saw them, made by Mikel Antonio um, earlier this week, where he said that strikers at West Ham live off scraps. And and that is fair. Like That is the game plan Moyes has chosen to go with. And, you know, for the last two years, it's been successful, so you can't really criticise it. Okay, it's not worked ones as this year, but he's certainly not going to veer from his principles for one big game. If anything, he's more likely to stick to them because in a cup final, if you keep it tight and you nick a goal, that can often win you the silverware. So I don't think he'll be changing much, to be honest. That's my short answer to that. <laughs> short and sweet, which is how West Ham fans hope the final will go as well, get it done in 90 minutes. Um, just finally on the final as well, and, and kind of looking at potential key battles that that could decide the game. And I think looking at, at both the Fiorentina team and the West Ham team, one that I really, really can't get past is, is the midfield battle around Declan Rice and, and Sofia Amrabat. Amrabat being one of the stars of the World Cup, being linked with moves to bigger clubs in January, obviously didn't come through. He'll probably try and uh, be linked to those again come the summer. And I think that's going to be the key battle in this one. Who who gets the better uh, in, in that midfield who, you know, they're, I think they both do similar jobs and they both bring similar things. And I, I think it's a chance for Declan Rice to really, really show that he is worth this £100 million, £20 million price tag that West Ham have put on his head by by doing it in a final against one of his, you know, top peers in Europe as well. Yeah, it's definitely the ideal stage for him to, to put himself out there. I mean, I don't, I don't think this game is particularly going to put any potential buyers off. I think that their interest is pretty concrete at this stage. Um, he certainly needs to like dictate the game, um, which we've seen him do numerous times. I think you know we, you talk about that price tag and where he could go. I think his problem will always, always be for that amount of money. Does he score enough goals? I know Roy Keane raised this issue earlier in the year, and people sit there and say that that's not his job, but. He's got a great temperament, Rice, and I think whatever money he goes for, I don't particularly think it will affect him um, mentally. But I was actually looking earlier, and when you spend £100 million on a midfielder, their issue is it's a very hard fee to justify. If you spend big on a defender, you can immediately sit there and go, well, how many goals are they conceding? You know, you look at a Van Dijk, you look at a Diaz, they immediately make a difference defensively. You saw a striker, you can straight away just say well how many goals is he scoring if you look at the three most expensive midfielders of all time and I mean out and out centre mids not like a, a De Bruyne who's obviously going to be more forward the three most expensive midfielders are Enzo Fernandez, Paul Pogba and Chiuamani and neither of those would you sit there and go yeah they've 100% justified their feet now Fernandez hasn't had long enough but he's certainly not torn up trees albeit in a bad side Chiuamani okay he's in his first year but he also has not sat there and you know no one in the Bernabeu has been there like you know sticking his name up in lights and Pogba's main United spell. I mean, where do we even start with that? So I think when you spend that amount of money on a player, it's a very hard position to justify that sort of outlay. So that's what Rice will always, always have to battle against. Nice and short there. It was almost like the Soprano stopping mid-sentence, I thought you were. Um, <laughs> but, but talking about stopping things, there you go, a nice little segue for us uh, this morning, talking about stopping things. Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Uh, bringing down the curtain on his career at the grand old age of 41. Um, 
Sam, he'll, he'll go down quite simply as one of the best players of his generation, won't he? I know, you know, there's, there's other, you know, likes of Messi, likes of Ronaldo. They'll, they'll be more fondly remembered in history. But, but Zlatan really kind of, he was one of those players that, that was kind of box office, wasn't he? You know, you knew if he was on, you'd kind of want to stick the TV on because you didn't know what was coming next. Yeah, like pure class. I mean, I started watching football in 0203 and I reckon he's got to be one of the only players who was around when like the first year I watched football and I'm nearly 20 years on. He's still there or was still there. Um, but no, yeah, pure class. Um, I think his like problem would always be that whilst he was always like in the top five strikers in Europe, he was never the top one. And I think that's why maybe he never got the adulation that he perhaps deserved. And then, you know, viewers in this country would have, for a long time, would have always been sceptical because he'd never come to to British shores, obviously, until he moved to Man United in 2016. And he came with a big rep. And that year, under Mourinho, when they were, you know, they were negative, they won three trophies, but finished outside the top four. He was probably the, the man who constantly, constantly delivered. You know, I remember scoring on his debut against Bournemouth um, and the goals kept on coming. And then obviously, you know, his, his time at Manchester was short, but wherever he's gone, he's gone to headline clubs and been very, very willing to take on the mantle of being their best player. Um, and he's thrived. He's got like an absolutely massive ego, but he's lovable at the same time, which is quite a hard balance to strike. Um, certainly a divisive character. He won't have been for everyone, but I think on the whole, people loved him and you know his highlight reel and what he's left us is is iconic you know i think everyone will always remember the goal he scored against england the bicycle kick but then even beyond that remember a year 2004 i think against italy he scores an equalizer with a, with a back heel that loops in which is one of the most creative goals i think i've ever seen um I remember he scored an absolutely incredible goal for PSG in the Champions League, I think against Anderlecht when he takes a volley first time. I mean, it's just one after the other. I've seen a lot of things on social media of a famous goal he scored at Ajax where he literally, to say he walks through the team is an understatement. He does not break into a, a sprint at all. Um, but yeah, an absolute class act. And, you know, he was certainly, uh, gave a lot to the game and he'll be missed. Yeah, football always needs their Mavericks and he, he was definitely one of those, wasn't he? And and you're kind of now looking to see who could be the next Maverick, who could really kind of take on the mantle now that Zlatan's gone, who's going to be the next Maverick that we're all going to be tuning in for to, to watch? I don't know if you've got any idea of, of who might, that player might just be. To be honest, I don't think we're going to see him play like, like him for a long, long time. He was, he was pure theatre. And I think he, he said what he thought, spoke his mind. I, you know, I read an interview of his that he did in the last year or so, I think with the uh, with a rival publication, but it was a brilliant, brilliant read. Um, and he's got a lot of layers to him. You know, you can look at his interviews and his, his like cockiness is like almost like a joke, but it's jokingly serious. Um, and I thought, like you say, it was just absolutely brilliant. I remember when he signed for United and they just missed out on um, the Champions League. He said he didn't play on Thursdays, which is why I wasn't going to join, which he obviously <laughs> changed his mind on when Mourinho picked up the phone. But, no, in terms of characters that could follow, I just don't think in a in a PR generation we're going to see many people like him again. He was a little bit old school in terms of he just said it and he wasn't really that bothered about the repercussions. I think nowadays with social media, everyone's a little bit more measured. So it would be amazing to see a character like him again, but I'm not sure where they're going to come from. Of course, one good thing with uh, Zlatan retiring is that hopefully we never have to hear the story about how Arsenal Wenger nearly signing for Arsenal ever again. We're both of them now well and truly out of football. 
Sam, thanks so much for joining us today. Really appreciate your time as always. Of course, it's a huge week of European football and you can keep up to date with all the latest from the Europa Conference League and, of course, Saturday's Champions League final, Manchester City against Inter Milan, uh, across the Mirror, Daily Star and Daily Express websites. But for now, it's goodbye.